Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jason. I'm here again. Also from That Film Stew. Ah, yes. Today's topic, The Mask, the film loosely based on the comic book series of the same name published by Dark Horse Comics. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. The rewatch for this podcast was such a joy for me. Is this a movie that you've seen before this review? Ah, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I think, and I think most people would be in the same boat. Um, it's one of I've, I've watched heaps as like heaps. It was just one of those ones where I think we had it recorded off the TV. Um, yeah, just watched it so many times. It's been a maybe a, a couple years since I last watched it, but obviously in preparing for this, watched it again. As always, when we do a review, whether it's TV or film, we'll give our rating at the end. I'm just going to say this now. I love The Mask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how much I love it out of five just yet, but I just love it. This, for me, was the easiest rewatch of anything that I've covered for Sounds Like Comics, by far. <laughs> it, it was an interesting rewatch, I guess, because, yeah, like, even, you know, I knew we had to prep for this at some point, but, you know, it kept coming, it was coming up, and it was like, well, I'm not going to watch it until we're ready to do the show. And I was getting excited to watch it. You know, it's something that I've... Yeah, it was just... It was exciting. It was something I've always loved. Now, watching it again, it was, of course, an easy watch. And it was all the things I remember and love. However, there is a critique of the movie that I think is... is well, well, hold your critiques. Hold your critiques. You know, we're just giving, we're giving it love at the moment. Yeah, we're but there is definitely the movie. love. And you're right. It was such an easy watch because it is The Mask. It's Jim Carrey. And it's a live-action cartoon, the def- definition of it. And this movie came out in 94. See, it is, you know, there's quite a bit of time between when it was released and now. And we'll get into the effects, but are they, and because it's cartoon effects as well, I think it holds up any, really well. Any flaw in the, in the effects is acceptable, <laughs> like 100%, because it is a cartoon. And the fact that they were doing effects in this movie... That had not been done before. You can look at movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's an animation, live-action hybrid, but this is a live-action character doing animated motions or actions. Yeah, take those Tex Avery cartoons, you bring in all those flavours, blends, styles. It's all there. So going back to when the character first appeared, he was created by writer Mike Richardson and artist Mark Badger and was later expanded by writer John Akudi and artist Doug Mankey, first appearing as Mask in Dark Horse Presents issue 10 back in 1987, and later as The Mask in Mayhem issue 1, which was published in 1989. The character was inspired by a combination of the Joker and Steve Ditko's version of The Creeper, as well as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. In the original comics, characters who wore the mask would become cruel anti-heroes at best, or murderous, vengeful villains at worst, with ultra-violent tendencies, even if it was not the wearer's original intention. The title of the comic book originally referred to the mask itself and not the character it unleashed. In early stories, the character was referred to as Big Head. It was not until the films and television series that the character became known as the mask. Now, a lot of people probably weren't even aware that this was based on a comic. Um, Essentially, the Terminator with superpowers like super (laughs) violent blood gore and this character this movie originally it started off as a horror movie 
which ended up as a family-friendly comedy musical. From that source material, you would. It, it lends itself to be a horror. It's very violent. It's very gory. It's very adult-orientated. That Yeah, it makes sense that they were like, hey, this could be a new horror franchise that we can get into. You know, like, think like a, a new leather, leather face, but with a green... There's a better head. comparison. <laughs> Is it? Like, better than Leatherface, Freddy Krueger. This movie was put out by New Line Cinema. The, the studio that almost went bankrupt until they had the hit, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's why, over the years, New Line Cinema has affectionately been referred to as the house that Freddy built. That movie, that character, saved, saved them, them yeah. from bankruptcy. So years later, when they were looking at developing The Mask as a horror movie, they went to Chuck Russell, who was the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And that movie, according to Russell in an interview, it grossed more than the first two Freddy's combined. So that was a surefire hit for them. So when looking to adapt this ultra-violent comic book character, The Mask, they went to the guy who had such success with Freddy Krueger. And with Russell, I just had a look at what else he'd done beyond An Outman on Elm Street 3 and The Mask. And he worked on the 1988 remake of The Blob, Eraser and The Scorpion King. Oh, so he's moved away <laughs> yeah. from horror, and Bigger also, things, interestingly, he was a executive producer on the Michael Mann directed crime thriller Collateral. Oh, okay, wow. But I've not seen anything from him recently, but I'll always hold him in such high regard for the mask. For the mask. And it's weird how they they obviously took that idea to make a horror movie or franchise. I guess they wanted to do something big, but it turned into, I guess, a family orientated. Comedy. They they wanted Jim Carrey for this, yeah. and they changed a lot of the script to fit his unique brand of comedy. The film was released in 1994, becoming a critical and commercial success, grossing over 351 million over a 23 million budget. That is insane. <laughs> and obviously, Carrey didn't come back for a sequel, but you'd think New Line with them numbers, they would have really wanted him to. Are we going to talk about that sequel? <laughs> we will get to the sequel. Uh, the Mask cemented Jim Carrey's reputation as a dominant actor of the 90s and established Cameron Diaz long-term as a leading lady. Carrey was nominated for a Golden Globe for his role and the film was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects but unfortunately lost to Forrest Gump. Fair enough. <laughs> what a shame. Travesty. Um, okay, so looking at The Mask on film and television... A critically panned standalone prequel, Son of the Mask, was released in 2005. I tried. I tried oh, to mate. watch this again. For, it is awful. For this, just for context. I watched like, the trailer and I, that was enough. <laughs> I got 10 minutes in and when Loki rocks up, I'm just, I clocked it. I was like, I mean, I'm, no, I can't do it. I remember being very excited for Son of the Mask. So the, when the first movie came out, I was 10. And I was hearing a lot of buzz about this movie. I was I remember seeing the, the TV spots, but it wasn't until VHS that I actually got to watch and fall in love with this movie. So years later, in 2005, when they put out Son of the Mask, I was there opening weekend. It is awful. How can you go? You went to the cinema. Yes, <laughs> I did. But I, and you know, 2005, the same year as Batman Begins. <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> but I was so excited for another mask movie. How can you go from Jim Carrey to Jamie Kennedy? 
I mean, you, well, you can't. And that's it's funny. And a dancing CGI baby. <laughs> but if you're looking for more Stanley Ipkiss, there was an animated series made like mid to late 90s. Uh, as well as that, we've got a video game for the Super Nintendo. Um, both versions of the character were based on the film. I used to absolutely love watching the Mask animated TV series. I checked out a few of those episodes, like going back to them, because I remember watching them on TV, but you know, vaguely remember them. Uh, yeah, I kind of tried to watch a few episodes, and I was like, you know, they're fine, fun. I watched the first two, and what I can say is they've not aged particularly well. They're still entertaining enough. But before I watched those first two, I was going to buy the complete season <laughs> on Amazon, and now I'm like... Probably don't need to. Although yeah. in the third season, they have a crossover between The Mask and Ace Ventura. Bonkers. Wow. If you look at the year in 94, it gave his Jim Carrey in three of his best roles. Yeah. The Mask, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber. And two of those movies were for New Line. That's Dumb and Dumber yeah. being the other one. Mask obviously being the more successful, both critically and commercially. I remember... Yeah, I mean, the, this movie really looked out because at the time you had Cameron Diaz, who was introduced in this movie. She had not acted on film before. She was a model. She was, nine, I think, 18, 19 years old. She was so young was in she this. she that young? So young in this. Wow, she still looked older than me in this movie. So she's not an actor. She's a model. <laughs> and Jim Carrey is a TV actor. Today, that doesn't matter as much. You can have people go between movie and TV. Back then, it was a big deal. So it was a gamble that they cast Jim Carrey in this role, but again, they, they went after him. Chuck Russell really wanted Carrey, and that's why all the rewrites were there to entice him and to fit you know, his, his comedy, as I said earlier. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's good that that's what we got, and it cemented both those actors uh, for what we got today or you know, years later as well. But Jim Carrey, yeah, like his filmography of that year, just that year. Incredible. Like, put him... Front and centre. Who else has made three solid entries in a calendar year? Robert Downey Jr., but that probably doesn't count. No, that doesn't count. (laughs) Neither one of those movies are just okay. All of them, like not just like box office, like success, like, you know, audiences, critics. They're movies movies. that we remember. And, you know, obviously Jim Carrey is a unique, you know, you have to have a unique palette for him. You either love him or you hate him. You know, there's no room in between. You take him, you know, he's a unique brand. What It's Jim Carrey. And I've always been a big fan of that. But That's just it. to finish up on the, yes, yeah, so the Mask animated series, it did give us a crossover with those characters. <laughs> That's bonkers. It really is. And this was the 90s. Like There was a Dumb and Dumber cartoon. Like most movies had an animated spin-off. I miss those days. I really do. With the movie then, so just give you a, a brief rundown of the plot. When Timid Bank Clerk... Stanley Ipkiss discovers a magical mask containing the spirit of Norse god Loki. His entire life changes. While wearing the mask, Ipkiss becomes a supernatural playboy, exuding charm and confidence which allows him to catch the eye of local nightclub singer Tina Carlyle. Unfortunately, under the mask's influence, Ipkiss also robs a bank, which anchors junior crime lord Dorian Tyrell, whose goons get blamed for the heist. I mean, they were there. <laughs> I mean, they were, yeah. And he got away with a cash. Uh, we've been talking about Carey already. Like, he is just absolutely phenomenal in this movie. It's it's one of those roles, uh, one of those movies, I guess, where you actually cannot cast anyone. You can't say, well, we could replace him. And it would, no, it would be... You don't have this movie without Jim Carrey. It's one of those ones where he was born to play this role. I guess it's his role. 
No but one else can touch it. In an interview, Chuck Russell revealed that a lot of money was saved on special effects after Carrie was cast. Carrie's body movements were so flexible and cartoonish, they didn't see the need to enhance them digitally. <laughs> yeah. Now, there were some pieces of concept art, and I've, I sent them to you so you could have a look. And, and they gave the me original, really But did. I think the original approach to, to the effects, like the green face, were going to be CGI, and they scrapped that because the last thing they wanted to do was hide Carey because he was like their biggest asset. And I think on that as well, like one of the fears, whether they used CGI or prosthetics, they were like, oh, we're going to lose expression and emotion from that character hiding behind all that makeup. And, and But it's like with Jim Carey, like he has that unique ability to do things with his mouth. But yeah, they just didn't need it. They could just paint his face green, give him the fake teeth, but that's it. Originally, key scenes were going to feature the fake teeth for particular gags. But Carey took it upon himself to learn how to use them comfortably and be able to get the dialogue out. So it was him wanting to keep the teeth all the time as the mask that got it in the movie. Originally, it would have just been his teeth and then at certain key scenes, he'd have the big teeth. Ah. The mask itself took four hours to apply and it was mainly, like say, around, I think like his, his eyebrows, his cheekbones, because they wanted him to have as much movement as possible underneath the mask. The character acts like various cartoon characters, most notably the Tasmanian Devil when he's travelling as a tornado, and when he's in his apartment, when he first you does see it. a Tasmanian Devil yeah. cushion. I do like that you've got a character in Ipkiss who is a fan of Looney Tunes, Tex Avery cartoons, and that's manifested to his powers. he's got portraits of like artwork and stuff above his bed. Like, yeah, it's all there. It's planted in his character psyche. Yeah, it's cool how it comes out. More references. Pepe Le Pew, when he's romancing Tina in the park. Bugs Bunny, when he's dying in the gangster's arms. And, of course, Tex Avery's wolf, when he's seen Tina in the nightclub for the first time. <laughs> but that's what I like about it. The fact that it's not just like cartoon animation for the sake of it, that it is actually referencing something established. It's got to do with the character himself. Like, the Stanley Ipkiss is bringing that... Like, so when you get the mask on other characters, they're not cartoon characters. Like, they're still bonkers, but they're different. You know, they're bringing out traits deep inside that person. And you mentioned nobody else could play the mask. Obviously, you know, include, excluding Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> Maybe he's including that. But other characters were considered. Matthew Broderick, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, and Martin Short. Thankfully, I mean, none of them got it, and it went to They Kerry. would have brought a different type of role. Like, Jim Carrey is larger than life. He's essentially like a live-action genie back in the day. <laughs> you know, there's something about the character that I was watching a behind-the-scenes. Like on the DVD and the Blu-ray, there's a mini-documentary, uh, Return to Edge City or Back to Edge City, and it's with the you know creators and from different departments talking about the character and how they brought it to the screen. And there's one guy, unfortunately I've not noted his name, he makes reference to the fact that when approaching the character, they treated him like a vampire. And what they meant by that, and I had to go back and check, the mask only ever appears at night. And that's a... Not during the day. And, and that's a line that they say, you know... Oh, he's not actually in the movie. Yeah, well, when he goes to the... Uh, when he goes to see the... The doctor, the doc, and he goes yeah. to put it on. But I thought that was just a case of, like, because there was a witness. I don't know. I thought maybe that's why it's not working, but it was... There was something about Loki being a night god or something. It's like, right. oh, so maybe that okay. works at night. And then for some reason, you never see him put the mask on during the day. Ever, so I missed so. it 
in the movie, all the times that I watched it, <laughs> I had to have someone working on the movie explain it to me, that they approached him like a vampire. But I, I found that interesting. Maybe other people have not picked up on, on that as well. Or maybe it's just me. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm the, I'm the only one. Uh, Stanley's dog Milo does not exist outside the movie. Original character for the film, such a great Was addition. he not in the cartoon? He was, but the cartoon came after the movie. Oh, of course, yes. So going to the source material... Milo as a character didn't exist. Well, he's in the comic. I've been exposed to sort of the panels and what they look like and stuff, but not really the story. Is Stanley Ipkiss the character? A character. He is a character. There's been many, many characters. Because he gets killed off, doesn't he? I remember the main original mask was killed off at some point in the comics, but... Yeah. I really want to deep dive into the original comics, but I've not read too many of them, to be honest. They but I do know that. that they that characters come and go, and the mask is whoever's wearing the mask. They take on that identity, and then each person, like their own personal attributes, will be heightened, and that's why you get different versions of the mask. Let's talk some more about Cameron Diaz. (laughs) What an entrance! (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) And other people were considered for the role, and then Nicole Smith, because she visually at the time looked like the character they wanted on screen. Uh, They also went to Vanessa Williams, who declined, but they ended up using an original song of hers for the end, or the end credits. Uh, Christy Swanson, she was also considered. Mm. You know her from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, the one before the TV series. <laughs> now Tina, I mean, appealing for the eyes on the screen, the character is pretty dull, though. I mean, if you know, that's one critique I'm bringing to the table here. It's There's not really much to Serves it. Serves a purpose, though. Like you can't, yeah. you can't have her character going big because you wouldn't want anyone competing for what the mask is doing. She keeps Jim Carrey in check, I guess, especially as the Stanley Ipkiss character. And I think well. her character just being so accepting of what he's doing because he's a, he's a living cartoon character. Yeah. yeah, she just goes with. Like it. I when, think when they're yeah. dancing, and it's like, why is she attracted to him? Obviously, he's got the confidence, he's got the moves, but it's like that man has a green face. He's scary. <laughs> what are you? But are you it's doing? this world. You you just go over. I mean, the magic. Yeah, there's world manipulating magical things happening, and no one's questioning that. Whenever we talk about Batman, we talk about Gotham City as a living character, and I feel that way about Edge City. Like it's completely made up, not just for this movie. Well, it is made up for this movie. It's an original city. Like it's not adapted from the comics. So just for this film, and they wanted the movie to have two different feels to it. Like, they wanted the daytime to look dirty and run down and not a place you'd want to live, yet nighttime is where the city really comes to life. And just having a made-up city as well, like, they don't tell you when this movie takes place. Similar to Batman the Animated Series, Mm. it's both modern and dated at the same time. It has, like, yeah, it has a style and it has... Element, it, it kind of gives it a timeless sort of quality where it's like it, I don't want I didn't watch this and go man this feels so 90s you know in the sense of the setting I mean it felt 90s in other ways but it was like yeah it's like it's a timeless thing there's like the jazz music the styles of the buildings the the clothing the costumes the characters the pajamas a timeless quality of it and it's got that old school gangster feel to it you know? yeah yeah not just the mask but the other characters as well like so when he pulls out a tommy gun you completely go with it yeah it's like it's 1994, but I've got a Tommy Gunner. That's, that's funny. <laughs> All the characters, we've got Lieutenant Calloway. Yes. I remember him primarily from the TV series. He's in pretty much every episode. So the character, but not so much the actor. But the actor in this, we've got Peter 
Rygert. And you know, he's he's seeing the mask as a menace. That's his role. <laughs> pictures of the mask. <laughs> and I think, you know, he's fine. But I think I prefer the cartoon version more. Oh, yeah, he plays... I mean, he's, he's the antagonist trying to do the right thing. He's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to... There's a vigilante, or not even. There's just a guy out there in a... I mean, he robbed a bank. There's a crime committed and he needs to stop him. It, it, yeah, he's a cop and he's doing his job. And again, like you're talking about Cameron Diaz's character. Like, she's quite, you know, plain at mm. times. Well, so is he. But he's your classic cynical cop that is after, you know, who we see as being the hero of the film, being the menace. Yeah, he's very much the villain, like he is. But he gets to deliver one of my favourite lines of the movie, which isn't from the Mask character. It's from from Callaway. Somebody stole your (laughs) pyjamas. Love it. Uh, He's also, not just the Mask, he's also pursuing Dorian and Nico throughout the whole movie. So Nico being the big bad, and then Dorian being the guy that eventually puts on the mask, and he is a bad guy. you got great effects where he's shot and he spits out the bullets. Mm. It's a great visual. Actually, he always menaced me when he puts the mask on. Terrifying. Scary. Like, I mean, we were talking about how the comic is very violent and graphic, but then they went for a more family-friendly sort of film. It's still pretty violent and gritty. You know, like, there's, there's that. There's the horrifying Dorian Mask character. But then there's, like, the scene with Nico and the golf club and, you know, whack him on the face... Honestly, There's if you, dark, smoky rooms with, like, seediness going on. Honestly, if you look to buy this movie, whether it's in a shop or if you look to rent it online, it will always family be section. in the family kids section. This movie is not that. But I guess because it's a cartoony character with a green face and he's smiling on the cover... Yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is not a kid's film. It's dark, gritty... There's even, like, jokes and gags. Like, he pulls out a condom. what looks like a used condom as well there's adult stuff in this we've got a reporter snooping about we have Amy Yasbeck as Peggy Brandt she was supposed to have a bigger role in a unproduced sequel and originally her death was shot but they chose to remove that from the movie to come back. Yeah, Dorian never was happened. supposed to kill. Her. I think he was meant to put it like through the newspaper printing machine. And that machine was the scene and... where Stanley was dangling and Yeah. He was going to actually do that to her. But you think going to this movie you think like especially when you've got Tina being such a pretty dull character although very attractive. You think the Peggy character would be, you know, Stanley's end goal. You know, like Tina it would be like Right, okay. You know, the trophy but then it's like you know, she's caught up in all the bad stuff and she, you know, too good, you know, thinks she's too good for Stanley, blah, 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 and you think Peggy would come good and it looks like it's going in that direction and then, yeah, they 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 just flip it and go, you know what, Peggy's a douche. You know, she is, but you know what, purely based on the chemistry between Cameron Diaz and Jim Carrey, when Stanley and Tina end up together, I completely buy it. You go, Because you go the actors have got such great chemistry it doesn't seem as far-fetched as what you initially presented with. Like, he works in a bank. She's this glamorous singer. Yeah. But I do completely buy them as a relationship that beyond him being the mask, she would be attracted to Stanley. It is interesting, though, when you go into the animated series, it kind of serves as a somewhat sequel, is that Peggy's back, she's around, and she's... She's a reoccurring character. And she's yeah. a friend. You know, there's no hard feelings. or It's not even addressed that she screwed him over. And sometimes that happens when it's an animated series based on a movie. Um, Okay, so the costume then. So we see the mask 
change costumes many times, but we all remember the banana yellow suit banana that Kirby <laughs> wears most, well, I would say most of the time. The one on the poster. The, the one on the poster, right? But I looked into this because I thought, just like the cartoon, he kind of always wears the yellow, or for the most part. If you're counting the minutes of screen time, he's wearing yellow, five minutes. It's only the jazz dance number. In a 90-minute movie, which is one of the key scenes, and most people, that's their takeaway. But it's just five minutes. And the Zoot suit was based on a yellow suit that Jim Carrey used to wear as part of his stand-up. So that design yeah. was something that Carrey had in real life Same and more brought into the movie. Jim Even Carrey the way elements. that Carrey portrayed Stanley Ipkiss, he based on his dad. That's personal. And the yellow <laughs> suit was made by his mum. So it is so personal wow. to Jim Carrey. Love it. Um, okay, with the special effects, such a great decision. They went to Industrial Light and Magic. They thought they need something, they need a branding to put on their poster. And as well as that, they knew the great work they'd done on Star Wars, Indiana Jones, but not casting stars in this movie. They wanted Industrial Light and Magic on that poster. So they could sort of promote the effect, the special effects as, you know... Their breakthrough thing, they're, 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 what they're bringing to the table. So we're not messing around. Like We're going to fully invest in the special effects. Because again, going back to that concept uh, that I showed you, that is not what we get in this movie. And thankfully, they spent money in the right places. And ILM really came through with the effects. Uh, the sequences in the film which involved computer animation were supervised by animated director Wes Takanashi. I'm finding I'm bringing up this guy... Quite a bit. I think the last time I mentioned him was on the Rocketeer episode. He was responsible for the time travel effects in the Back to the Future films, and he is responsible for the little boy in the moon in the DreamWorks logo. So this <laughs> guy has been around, and knowing that he was attached to this film as well, love it. That's cool. The soundtrack, Jim Carrey does vocals on one of the songs, when Tina is singing in the movie, it's not her. Cameron Diaz is lip syncing to another artist. That's fine, yeah. But then the, the soundtrack, it's fun, and I, and I own it. I bought it on CD many years ago, but it, it's a pop soundtrack. I mean, there's all jazz tracks and stuff. There is, involved. and there's one track in particular. I can't remember the name of it, but they actually repurposed it for the animated series as the main theme. Yeah. And it got one little play in this movie. So that's probably my go-to track on the soundtrack. Isn't that one that's like... Dun, 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 the one with the kids? Yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm probably going to start the open the episode with that song. <laughs> Bit of a off-track, but like, I remember <laughs> Everybody Loves Raymond episode where... Ray, Deborah, and Robert are out dancing, and then he starts dancing to it, and he's just trying to get away from an awkward conversation as he does, and it's the same song. Oh, it's the same song. Yeah, and it's a great song. And it's you know, I wasn't sure. I was going to look at, I was going to look at using a track from Randy Edelman, who did the actual score, which I really like. But it's got to be that. You're right. Yeah. That song. <laughs> we need, <laughs> we need to be. open the episode for that song. When I was watching this movie again, and it's the first time it's ever happened, and Spider-Man Three came out. 2007, years ago, right? years ago. And I never made this connection. Symbiote, the mask. Oh, yes. Remember that really bad scene in Spider-Man nope. 3 with the jazz? I have no idea what you're talking about. With the jazz about. dancing, <laughs> with the heightened... Oh, I hate it. I'm like, 
was Sam Raimi trying to channel like a Maybe. mask thing? What I got does from that make that, it a little bit better? <laughs> I don't know. But what <laughs> I got from that, it was like you know, like werewolves give off like a pheromone where the opposite sex are attracted to them. Yeah. I thought that's what they were doing with the alien symbiote with Venom. How all of a sudden women were more attracted to Parker. Because anyway, we're not here to talk about <laughs> Spider-Man three. I just saw, I just saw jazz. Yeah, I mean, there's like a, it's there, isn't it? A, an external thing that kind of heightens internal stuff. Ah, it's all there. It's all parallel. But just to give some more props to Randy Edelman, some of his best-known film scores include Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Beethoven, obviously The Mask, Dragonheart, Daylight, and Triple X. He also wrote the MacGyver TV thing. So this guy has gotten around. So the actual score of The Mask is really, really good. You just can't buy it. You can only get the pop soundtrack. Ah. The, the legacy of The Mask. So we've had a movie, a prequel, an animated TV series, video games. We had the original comic books. Well, Dark Horse are reviving the franchise in October. And I've already been down to my local comic shop and pre-ordered this series, The Mask, I Pledge Allegiance to The Mask. This is a new series that will bring an extra dose of political satire to this darkly comical franchise. So we're now celebrating the 25th anniversary of this movie, and finally we're getting more comics. It's been a while, and I believe, we talked about it on the movie show recently, Dark Horse Entertainment were going to be working with Netflix. It was Netflix, wasn't it? producing new content and we're talking about what would it be like if they made a new mask movie or tv series for netflix and then there's various other dark horse properties that they were looking to adapt mm. in terms of its legs of you know just the movie or the mask character but the comments everything you know after this movie you know obviously it didn't land with son of the mask the animated show came and went it it went it disappeared but the mask of this movie, Jim Carrey's performance, it's always stuck with with us, I'm sure many people. So it's always been there. But in terms of product and property, it's just disappeared. Like it's there's nothing been happening. So I guess maybe with this, this comic revamp we might get more. But then I'm like, is that a good thing? It's one of those things where it's like you don't really want or need a reboot or remake of the I mask. would be happy for more and I think Again, without reading too many of the comics, it does lend it to other characters. Like the mask creator, Mike Richardson, he stated that he wants a gritty female-led reboot. So are we talking Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig? Like who else is out there? Maybe someone that's currently funny on TV, like Jim Carrey, could get put in, you know, under the spotlight and become yeah. a movie star on the back of the mask. We'll just have to wait and see. But the fact that, as well as getting the comic, what Netflix are doing, and Richardson, I like that there's conversation around the mask. Now, granted, that's going to happen when a movie has an anniversary, like the 25th. Of course. But still. People are talking about it, just like us. And it's why we're doing the episode, like yeah. in celebration of the mask. So hopefully, we do get more of the mask. But with the mask that we've got, what is your rating? What have I What have I got? Yeah, look, it, it is, it's, it's, it's odd because I do have much love for it and I think it will always be there and I'll always enjoy revisiting it and it is what it is. Like, it's the mask. It's Jim Carrey at, like, his prime. It's so good. 
Um, but I mean, the movie is it's it's flawed. There's so many flaws. And I'm not just talking about the effects because you can brush them aside because it is a cartoon. But I mean, essentially, there isn't really a plot. There isn't really character motivation. There's an there's a character arc with Stanley Ipkiss, which is great. Um, that's essentially it. The you know, there's things happening, but they're just happening. There's no overall story. And to get to the end where there's like a combination of things that need to that all come together and a problem needs to be solved, it's a pretty weak story. There's a whole lot of th other things going on. What I found when I rewatched this was I wasn't enjoying it as I remembered, and I don't really know why. But it's still a beloved film of mine, and I think it always will be. Um, I want to come in at a four out of five for it. Watching this again for the review, just falling in love with the mask all over again, and just forgetting, like growing up, how important the mask. As a movie was to me and loving that animated series i can't believe it's taken me so long to actually sit down and re-watch it the film it's not dated because we talked about the the approach to the the setting of the movie the the way people dress and talk it's almost timeless and the effects are absolutely phenomenal i'm gonna come in slightly higher than you i agree with you that not a lot really happens but then outside of the character but it is about the character it is it's about stanley if becoming a yeah. better person <laughs> they, they made this movie today it would have been a two-hour movie and you'd have got another half hour subplot that added to the film in some way but i really love what we have in this movie i'm going to come in at a strong 4.5 out of five Ooh. so much love for the mask it's iconic. It's iconic. There's so many iconic moments. It really is it's... iconic. You so you show somebody the poster, they know what it is immediately. Yeah, I mean, we could sit here for another twenty minutes and just talk about our favorite moments. Oh, Milo puts on the mask. I love it every time. <laughs> it's just the movie just keeps on the giving, keys, and giving. Not the cheese. Yes, oh, so many good lines and you know, and quotable as well. The behind the scenes uh, clip that I watched, how they played that out, and that Jack Russell playing Milo is so good. Like he's such a good actor. <laughs> And they shot it in two parts, and that's why it gels so well together, because the dog, as he's like pulling the keys, the, the guy's sleeping, he stirs, and the dog watches him, and then when the guy stops moving, he carries on pulling out the keys. And they did all that in one, and then they shot Jim Carrey as Stanley Ipkiss separate and had him reacting to the dog. Cool. When the dog is outside trying to jump the wall... That was just Jim Carrey, Adler being standing character, reacting to the dog. <laughs> that scene wasn't supposed to be as long as it was. Man, Jim Carrey. I mean, this is his film. So good. That's it for our episode all about The Mask. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jason, thanks for being on the show today. Um, yeah, no worries. <laughs> I'm sure we'll do it again soon. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.